Welcome to the Irish Legislation Podcast with me, Barry Ward, a podcast looking at legislation as it passes through Oireachtas Air in our National Parliament. Hi, Barry Ward here, and you're very welcome to the first edition of the Legislation Podcast, which is looking at various pieces of legislation that go through the House of the Oireachtas, how they go through and what the arguments for and against them are. And in this first episode, we're going to talk a little bit about legislation. And I'm delighted to be joined by Marco Doherty, who is a former Leinster House employee for some 13 years. He worked in the Whips office in Leinster House for seven and a half years and laterally as a government advisor um, for nine and a half years. So somebody, Mark, who knows an awful lot about legislation, uh, both good and bad, would that be fair to say? Thanks, Barry. Yeah, I hope so. Delighted to be here on your first episode as well. Well, thanks very much for coming. Um, and Mark, what I was hoping to do today was just to talk to people about all the kind of nitty gritty of legislation, what it is, how it happens, what the pitfalls are, what the good and the bad and the ugly, as the case may be, is. Um, so I was hoping you might take us through some of that. I mean, you've worked in the Whips office, so um, you know a lot about the way that Leinster House functions and the way the way it's shaped. Can you tell us a little bit about, maybe for the uninitiated, about what our parliament is and how it works, maybe? Yeah, Barry, a little bit like an awful lot of things in the law side of things. There's, a, there's more jargon um, in it than probably required. When you strip it back, it's actually it's actually fairly common sense. It's a movement of how to introduce laws for the country. I suppose the key thing to understand first is that Leinster House is a, is a bicameral system. So we have two chambers. Some parliaments have one chamber of just elected representatives, but our system has two. So legislation passes between the Dáil and the Senate. Now, countries that have these, in some cases like the US, it's a federal system and they do it to put a weighting between states. Um, in our system, it, in, it comes from the, uh, the UK Westminster model. So the Senate represents a group or groups that mightn't get elected normally to the Dáil. And they two chambers hold that thing of balancing how balancing holding the government to account with passing legislation. And of course, there was an attempt in recent years to get rid of the challenge, but the people maybe surprisingly decided to hold on to it. Yeah, I was I was in the Whips office myself at that time, and it did lead to an awful lot of debate and discussion about the Shannad and reforming the Shannad or whether the Shannad um, fulfilled a function. I mean, it was a it was a definitive answer at the at the time. The people are comfortable with the system they have. They like it. They like the checks and balances. Um, and the decision was taken to retain the Shannad because it gives an alternative viewpoint on legislation. Maybe in some people would think a more thoughtful viewpoint on legislation. Well, uh, Although I have to yeah. say I was on the other side of that argument at the time. <laughs> well, I, I know, I understand, and I, I must say I've always been a big fan of the Shannon. I'm, I'm a newly elected member of it, obviously, as well. But what has struck me just in the few weeks really that we've been in operation is how much senators very much see themselves as being part of a revising chamber that is I suppose giving that different perspective on legislation that's coming to them from the Dáil and, and I think there are lots of examples in the past where it's worked really well in that regard and I know certain senators have pointed out things that just haven't been seen by the Dáil so it does certainly have that capacity even if it doesn't always get the opportunity to do it. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt just the way that senators are elected. There is the the possibility there, um, and I think it would be seen as maybe in some cases maybe a more thoughtful and less less overtly party political chamber. And in in many cases, they have looked at legislation maybe in a little bit 
more in-depth issues where you don't have the same cut and trust of of, of the party politics the of the scoring. day. The point scoring, yeah. it's less in the Senate. And mm-hmm. um, so you were talking then about how the Oireachtas has a duty to hold the government to account. How's it, how does it do that? Well, this is where there's a balancing act, I suppose, in, in relation to, to the Dáil and the Shannad. Ultimately, they only have a set amount of sitting time that any that any chamber can do. And they have to, on the one hand, hold the government to account through things like questions to ministers, leaders' questions, as you usually have in the morning. Um, and then separately to that, there is the passage of legislation, which we're going to be talking about. Now, the holding the government to account is usually the more TV-friendly part. It's the part that the media will be reporting the following day. Um, but it tends to sometimes have a passing element. The legislation obviously has more long term impact, um, but it is it is a balancing act between the two. And I know my time when we were in there, you know, the, the amount of time dedicated to leaders questions where the Taoiseach would have to answer questions or the Taoiseach would have to answer questions to members um, was extended. And obviously the same with ministers. The ministers appear in the Dáil on a daily basis when the Dáil is sitting to answer questions about their own particular department. And in the Shannad, the Shannad doesn't have the same role of holding the government to account. But at the same time, the Shannad can request a minister to come in and answer questions. I think and that's called commencement matters when ministers come in on particular it. issues. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's something I think the centres guard very jealously, that power to bring a minister in to answer questions and to deal with issues. Yeah, and I think it's important. I mean, the the function of the parliament in our system is to hold the executive to account. So it's important that, min- or that um, TDs and senators have that right to bring a minister in and put questions to him or her um, that they feel is, a, is, is of a matter of concern. And it does, as somebody who worked in the government department, answering commencement matters in the Shannad or um, topical issues or ministerial questions in the Dáil does keep you on your toes. And I know um, from from working on Taoiseach's briefings for leaders' questions, you you do you do spend a lot of time preparing for stuff that may or may not be asked. You know, so it does keep keeps officials and keeps yeah. governments on their toes. Yeah, and I suppose that's important as well. Um, in terms then of the. The, the various roles that they have in, in holding the government to account. We talk very often about the separation of powers between the three branches of government, the judiciary on the one hand, the legislature, the executive. In our system, really, there is no separation between the legislature and the executive, given that every member of the executive is also a member of the legislature. Isn't that right? It's different from maybe America or France or places like that in that regard. Yeah, that's it. I mean, our system is very much the um, the the members of the executive are also members of the parliament. Um, not so in the US system where they elect the president separately and Congress is, is elected on a separate basis. Um, to be to be the Taoiseach in this country, you have to have the confidence and retain the confidence of parliament. And if you lose that confidence at any time... It's of the doll. Of the doll, yeah, yeah. Because the Shannon doesn't have a role there, does it? No, it's, it's the doll. You have to be able to win a vote in the doll. And there have been situations in the past, like the Rainbow Government that came in in 94, that didn't have an inbuilt majority in the Shannon, but continued to, continued to function. 
but the, still the most recent government Leo Varadkar and Andy yeah. last, the last government they did have they were a minority weren't they they were minority in both in both parliaments I mean the key the key thing there is you have to have the numbers to continue to win votes and pass legislation a government that ultimately can't get legislation it's legislation through the doll um, is, a, is a government that can't govern um, and just for clarity I suppose when we talk about the executive we're really talking about the Taoiseach and his or her ministers the legislature talking about the Dáil of the Shannon and the president and then the judiciary is the superior court judges who interpret the laws. Would that be? That's it, yeah. I mean, the Taoiseach and the cabinet kind of fall into the to the executive category. And mm-hmm. then, as you were saying, parliament is the senators and the TDs uh, that are elected and the president, obviously, is the, the final sign-off on yeah. Iraq's legislation. And you mentioned there the government getting its legislative programme through. Uh, who decides on what's in that programme? I mean, we're hoping next week to be talking to the chief whip, Jack Chambers, I haven't confirmed a date yet, but hopefully I'll get to go into a bit of detail with him with this. But you worked in the Whip's office, so you understand that as well. Yeah, I mean, this is where this is where I suppose there's that interesting divergence between the Irish system and the UK system because the UK elects MPs by a first past the post system. It has traditionally, not always, but traditionally ended up with strong majority governments. So whatever was in the party manifesto tends to become the programme for government. Um, so in the UK system, manifestos are more important and programme for governments probably less so. In our system, because of the way we elect TDs, we generally, since the since the the eighties anyway, have have had minority or have had coalition governments or minority governments in some cases, but. The programme for government then becomes a discussion between those parties that are going to form the government. And there is the discussion about which part of which party's manifesto ends up in a programme for government. And gets priority, presumably, as well. And gets priority. And and the weighting comes in there. There's always the discussion about who won and who lost in those discussions. And so every kind of around this time of the year, the legislative programme is published, isn't that? We haven't seen it yet from, from this government, but every September they do publish a document, don't they? Yeah, the government chief whip will bring to cabinet uh, after discussions with all the different departments uh, a set of priorities of the legislation they want to publish within that dull term and they will also have an idea of what legislation they want to pass within that dull term and that is the foundation of the the government's programme for the upcoming year. Again, doing the comparison with the UK. In the UK, that's when you see the Queen going in with the, you know, the address to Parliament and the Queen's Mm -hmm. speech. In Ireland, it tends to be just uh, the list of bills that we intend to publish as a government. And this government now, having been only formed in June, they will have they will have a clean slate, but they'll also re- revive a couple of bills from the last session. Isn't that right? That's it. I mean, usually when the when the doll meets after an election, one of their first things they'll do is pass a motion to decide which bills they will carry over. These will be the these will be the bills that were working their way through the Oireachtas when the election was called. Um, but hadn't hadn't completed their their enactment procedures. So, um, in if there isn't a change of if it's the same party coming in that went out or broadly the same government, they tend to reinstate most bills. 
Um, if it's a new makeup of a new government, they can pretty much drop everything. But there'll be an awful lot of procedural legislation that no matter kind of what the political stripe of the government, they'll we've want to retain. We've already seen some of that in, the, in the, the new Donna challenge in terms of changing department names and things like that, for example, as well. Yeah, that's it. And quite often an awful lot of legislation won't be particularly controversial between the parties mm. that regardless of whether they're on the, the broad left or the broad right, there'll be procedural bills that mm. all parties will agree on. So they tend to come back in without, without any great argument. Yeah. So you're saying there, obviously, the government chief whip publishes a list of priorities. So, and that refers to bills that are coming from the government. So can you talk us about talk to us about where bills come from, or how how do they start? How do they get from an idea in someone's head about changing the law to actually getting onto the floor of either the door or the challenge? Yeah, there's two. There's really two avenues in which bills make it to the Oireachtas. One is through the government um, side of the house, where it'll be a minister. Um, and a, he, a minister, he or she will bring forward a bill in their own name in the government. In the Shannad, it tends to be the leader of the Shannad brings forward the bill. But that'll be a government piece of legislation. And it'll be coming from either a commitment in the programme for government, um, something that they've put in their legislative programme that they want to bring in. Uh, it could come from an area like the Law Reform Commission and recommended chains changes or it could and quite often is something that is a response to a crisis or a response to something that has developed might have been something that nobody thought of during a general election but maybe two or three years later it needs or piece it of legislation or it could yeah. be COVID-19 obviously seen a huge amount of emergency legislation responding to that crisis that's it yeah and I mean this legislation quite often you know you were talking about the separation of powers quite often it's maybe a decision in the courts that points out a gap in the law that requires a piece of legislation Um, but that's broadly coming from the government side and it usually goes through a number of steps the other avenue is coming from a member who's elected as a TD or senator and isn't uh, a government minister and they can bring forward what's called a private members bill which is a piece of legislation either in the case of a party in the opposition or it could be an individual either be they either an opposition or government TD or senator um, as long as they're not a member of the executive or a government minister really they can bring forward their own piece of legislation. So a, a minister is not allowed to bring forward a private members bill? No if a minister is bring forward a bill it's really a government bill mm-hmm. um, that's that's not to say and we have had situations in the past where a, a TD or a senator TD really in most cases has brought forward a piece of legislation and it started its process and then later they become a minister um, but really if it's a minister bringing forward a bill it really needs to have gone to cabinet gotten cabinet approval whereas for private the members status of a government bill and it has yeah. this, and it, that does change. There is a different procedure for going through the house, be they a government bill or a. Or well, an what is the difference in procedure? Well, with a government bill, every bill that goes through the 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 Dáil and the Shannon has to go through five stages in each house, really. Um, now, the difference between a government bill really is that. The bill, the heads of the bill will have to have been published in advance of the bill itself being published. And those heads go to an Oireachtas committee to give the committee a chance 
to discuss and debate the, the, the proposals within the bill and the committee will issue a report which will go back to the minister for discussion before the bill is finally published. And that, that's called prelated sort of scrutiny, isn't it? That's called prelated mm. and relatively new I was going to say, it's, a, it's kind of a new feature of, uh, yeah. of Irish parliamentary democracy, isn't it? It is. It's, it really only came, started to come in after the election in 2011. It was one of the proposals that came in um, with the new government in 2011 and started relatively that? small. There was a feeling, I think, that that a Roctus members didn't get as much influence in the development of a bill. Um, that by the time they saw a government bill, it had been published and there was a draft in, in there already. And it's a lot easier. It was kind of a done deal at that stage. Well, this is one of the process, like before a bill is published, it can be rewritten or changed. Now, they're drafted by the Attorney General's office. But if the minister or the government decide to change the proposal, it's very easy to change it at that point. Once a bill is published and it's on the it's on the Dáil or the Shannon order paper to change a bill, even to take out a comma, requires a vote and an amendment. A little bit yeah. more rigid. Uh, and I think as well in 2011, when um, Enda Kenny came to power at that point and, and there was a, a very strong government with a, with a large majority, um, I think there were a lot of members of the of the Dáil and Shannon, particularly the Dáil at that point, feeling, well, there's a lot of backbenchers here who are government backbenchers, and there was a feeling that they were going to be sidelined. Would that, would that have fed into that decision as well? I think, yeah, it, it was in 2011 a very big government that had an awful lot of government TDs that weren't office holders, um, and they wanted more of an influence in the legislation process. Also, um, it, it was composed of two parties that had spent a long time in opposition and had um, developed in both cases fairly extensive... Yeah, sorry, Fine Gael and Labour, and, and they had developed... Um, fairly extensive plans for political reform. So that government between 2011 and 2016 was a very reforming government. Well, it had to be, really. Didn't it? Yeah. it did, and it was a different time. And in fairness, I have to say, that that carried on into 2016. I mean, obviously, the minority situation and stuff developed as well, but, but it did... That 2016 government was also quite a reforming government. So the procedures within the Dáil and the Shannon have changed radically yeah. in the last 10 years. And then from 2016 onwards, then you had the reverse situation. You had a minority government. And I think, in fairness to Enda Kenny's government at that point, they had to have regard. They were relying on Fianna Fáil not to vote against them, essentially. So they had to have regard to what TDs and backbenchers thought about pieces of legislation. Yeah, and it does come back to, to what we were saying earlier. I mean, to, to continue to be Taoiseach and um, the executive has to have, be able to win votes in the Dáil. And that minority government had to engage in discussions with the opposition, the main opposition party, uh, Fianna Fáil at the time, but also an awful lot of the smaller opposition parties and independents um, to continue to kind of get the day-to-day -day business done. So um, there was there was more progress on that doll reform movement. Some of the steps had already been brought in, the election of the Count Corla by secret ballot and the selection of committee chairs on the basis of a more even-handed approach had already been done before that, um, before the 2016 election. Can I ask you about those two things? The Count Corla is obviously the chair of the Doyle, and he or she, and it has always been a he so far, I think, um, so. he is, is responsible for... Um, a lot of the procedural decisions that are made in the running of the Dáil, would that be fair to say? 
Yeah, I mean, the the before 2016, the Keown Corla's election was um, was done as an open vote in the Dáil Chamber. And generally... Which, which meant that essentially party whips applied. Which meant, yeah, party whips applied. And whoever had a majority, the government who would have been in a majority in the day inevitably take, take the position. Yeah. And now, of course, it's different. And in fact, we saw with the election of Catherine Connolly TV um, as the, the first female last Keown Corla, um, that's the first time a woman has, uh, has occupied either Las Cancorla or Cancorla, isn't that right? Yes, I think so, yeah. And, and that and was a surprise result. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, the new system does mean, I think, that the TDs um, in the Dáil Chamber feel the Count Corla is more somebody that they have selected as opposed to maybe in the past where they would have seen the role as being somebody imposed upon them by the government. So it does give that chairperson of the Dáil role more independence maybe than they would have yeah. they would have been perceived as having before. So you were saying that then those two roles, the two things you mentioned was the, the I suppose, the private vote or the secret ballot in respect to the Count Corla and the other thing then that changed in 2016 was you were saying the Yeah the selection of committee chairs a little bit like the election of the Count Corla committee chairs were selected um, by the by the committees themselves and if a government had a majority in the Dáil and the Shannad then they had a majority on the committees so the committee chairs were almost always government TDs um, the system that was changed in 2016 meant that they were appointed on what's called the DeHunt system, which basically means a fairer distribution of committee chairs. So now there's opposition parties that would have a certain amount of committee chairs and even independent groupings that would have committee chairs. So it's seen as a, a less government controlling yeah. of um, the legislature. Yeah. Yeah. So you now have the various committees on justice or transport or whatever it might be they could be chaired either by somebody from a party that's a government or by a party that's in opposition. Yeah, that's it's it. It's proportionate to the strength of those parties in the Iraq, well, in the Dáil, I suppose, specifically. Yeah, it is. It's it's proportionate to the to the strength within the Dáil. Um, traditionally, the only the only committee that that had an opposition chair was guaranteed an opposition chair with the public accounts mm-hmm. because it was seen that that committee needed to be a little bit more independent of government um, but now the public accounts committee continues to have an opposition chair but now it's a it's a fairer distribution so it is seen as you were saying Barry seen as a, a more even-handed and independent and definitely in the last 10 years I suppose the Oireachtas has become more independent of government even with a majority yeah. in, in, yeah. in the current time. I think that's a healthy thing though, would you agree? Has that been your experience? I know you've been on both sides of the divide there, but... I think so. I mean, obviously when we were in the Whips office, there were times we would have liked more control <laughs> over, over TDs and senators. But on the whole, it does it does mean that um, people elected, uh, be it the Shannon or the Dáil, have, feel they have a little bit more independence when they speak and when they act, yeah. you know? Well, can I ask you then, because you've talked about committees and, and how there are different types of legislation, I know there are five stages in legislation. Can you talk us through those stages? Yeah, as I was saying, it's it's slightly different on the government side, but just to take a government bill as a standard, and then I'll, I'll come back and explain most maybe bills are, members. Most bills that become laws are government bills, would that be fair to say? Most bills that become laws are government bills. And most, yeah, most bills that are published are private members' bills. So there is a slight difference there. I mean, roughly... Um, I was looking at this in 2019, they were 48 of the acts that were passed started life as government bills and six of the acts that were passed started life as private members bills. Um, 
if you went back again, if you went back 10 years ago, it would have been an extremely rare thing to see a private member's bill ever becoming make it becoming a law. Um, I think in fairness as well, the volume of law that is generated by the Oireachtas in general has hugely increased in recent years. It has, yeah. There is more. It kind of changes from year to year. Obviously, election years and things where the doll isn't sitting as long or where there's a period of time for programme for government negotiations, they tend to be less acts um, enacted. Um, but on the whole, yeah, there's more There's more statute law now than there probably would have been in the past. Um, but given those stages, yeah, I mean, a government bill usually starts with, with some element of consultation. It could involve green papers. Um, that's relatively rare. Most of the time it comes either, we were saying, either from a programme for government commitment or a response to something that's required because of a court case or the development of something that leads a legal response. It usually goes into the legislative programme um, unless it's an extreme emergency piece of legislation. So the heads of the bill are published and the committee, the relevant committee in the Oireachtas are given the opportunity to look at the heads of that bill and discuss the different parts of it and then do a report back to the government with their opinions on the on the heads of the bill. Government has to consider that and then the bill is published, um, drafted by the Attorney General's office and published in the name of the relevant minister or the leader of the Shannad. Um, the first stage doesn't really apply in a government bill to any great degree. It usually starts life, for argument's sake, in the doll at a second stage debate, which is a general discussion on the principles of the Before bill. Before we go into that, can you just explain what a green paper is? Uh, it's a discussion document that really sets out a proposal for a change in the law. So they they do tend to happen. Uh, green papers, white papers are are to give different that's bodies a, and interest a groups paper. a discussion. Again, it's a it's another stage in in the discussion uh, in the discussion of proposed change in the law. They are relatively rare. They usually on big issues like defence, energy. Um, but they're the exception, I suppose, rather than the rule. Yeah, um, and you refer to heads of a bill as well. What are the heads of the bill? The heads of the bill are general are general headings that set out what in plain English or as close to plain English as we get sometimes set out what the bill will do. Um, so they break the bill down into its different areas and set out what the bill hopes to change. Yeah. Um, without getting into the technical legal terms. Yeah. yeah. And you said that they were drafted by the Attorney General's office. I mean, obviously you have people in the, the AG's office who are expert at, at framing the legal language, but I think there are probably officials in departments as well who have a huge role in, in what goes into a bill. Yeah, like the discussion in relation to the development of a bill will start within, will start with the minister or the Taoiseach indicating what change they want, but it'll go through an awful lot of discussion internally within a department. And then when the government and the department know the direction that they want to go in, the Attorney General's office will then start working on drafting first the heads of the bill, yeah. and then later the actual text, if it's section by section. Yeah. Okay. So you were saying then that 
generally speaking, government bills go to second stage. So what is that first stage that's skipped? Well, first stage, in a private member's bill, first stage will be the, the member standing up, just outlining what the details of the bill are. Um, with government bills, because it has gone through heads of a bill and other kind of steps that flag what's going to be contained, um, usually it'll start its 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 um, process through the Dáil and the Shannon at second stage. And second stage is a general discussion about the legislation. Um, TDs and senators usually have a set period of time to, to discuss it. Um, and that discussion sometimes can focus on the piece of legislation, quite often can range all over the place to whatever the issue of the day is. Or whatever is relevant to that member's constituency. Or, quite quite yeah. often, if it's, if it, and, and it's, a, it's an open enough kind of thing. So, I mean, you can have, depending on the level of interest in, in, a, in a piece of legislation at second stage, it can be either a remarkably short debate, might only go on for an hour or two, or it could be a debate that might go on for days or weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of that second stage, there will be a vote on the bill, but it'll be a vote basically to say, you know, that the chamber agrees that the bill in principle can go forward. Um, the next stage then is that the bill will be given, if it's passed to the Dáil at second stage, it'll be given over to the relevant Oireachtas committee. And this is the this is the point where the real nuts and bolts of the work is done. The bill, the committee members and other um, TDs can come in and take part in the discussion, but the committee members alone can vote if there's a vote called. But they will go through the bill section by section and line by line, and they can propose amendments to the legislation. And if the minister who will be there to answer the questions, um, if he or she agrees to take the amendment, then that can go off and be redrafted. If they refuse to take the amendment, then it's up to the proposer to call a vote on that on that Which amendment. Which they may or may not win, depending. Which they may or may not win. And quite often, you know, especially in the times of majority government, there'll probably be a government majority mm-hmm. on a committee. Yeah. Um, but, but it is a chance to flag changes yeah. or issues. So you're saying it goes to the committee. Now, obviously, if the if the bill starts in the door, that committee is only made up of TDs. That would be a, what's called a select committee, isn't that right? Yeah, that's it. Like the process, if it starts in the Dáil, it'll do second stage in the Dáil, committee stage in a select committee made up of only TDs. It's also called third stage. It's it's really the third step in the process. Yeah, Yeah. and you can have a committee stage of the whole Dáil, isn't that right? You can. Yeah, quite often for emergency legislation, the decision will be taken to do committee stage on the floor of the Dáil, which which does involve. Who makes that decision? Ultimately, it's the it has to be approved by the House, but usually it's the government chief whip will um, make the decision, go to the business committee and ask for the business committee to approve that. The business committee is a meeting of all the different party whips chaired by the Count Corla. Um, and on the whole, unless there's some major dispute over the legislation, usually that's agreed if it's an emergency piece of legislation. And... What so that, the business committee then involves all the parties as an opportunity for every party to feed in on it. Yeah, the business committee will have a representative from every political party and also every political grouping of independents. And they'll have a chance to discuss the you discuss the the daily schedule for the for the dog. And is every T D or Senator a member of a political grouping? Um, nowadays, yeah, most TDs and senators, nearly all TDs and senators, I think, are. Um, in the past, they would have been 
independence wouldn't have formed groupings all that often, but under changes that were brought in in 2011 and 2016, what they call technical groups were allowed to be established. Because they found themselves being left out of those decisions and the opportunity to feed into what was coming before the houses. Yeah, that's it. And, And quite often before that, independent TDs would have had to go to a political party task for speaking time because speaking time was divided between the parties. And people then, of course, would be familiar with Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil and Sinn Féin and Labour and the the major political parties. But then you also have independents banding together to form what what you're saying is a technical group so they can get speaking time and rights and all the rest. Yeah, and before the set of reforms that was brought in there in the last 10 years, the Dáil only allowed one technical group. So you you had at that stage, you know, a, a group that could include... Uh, independent TDs that may have seen themselves on the on the politically conservative side of politics in the same technical group as TDs who would have seen themselves on maybe the more left-wing or liberal side. Um, nowadays, there's more flexibility in forming technical groups. So you tend to get, not always, but you tend to get groups of TDs forming a technical group that broadly have similar political stand view, standpoints. So at the moment, you have like a group of rural TDs that have formed a, a rural independent group. Yeah. And you have a group of TDs from broadly kind of small left-wing parties that have formed a technical group. Yeah. So when so committee stage then can happen in different ways and it proceeds then after committee stage the bill might be amended, might not be amended. What happens to it? Yeah, after committee stage, the the bill goes back. If again, it's a doll bill, goes back to the doll to do what's called report stage. And at report stage, other further amendments are allowed to be introduced, um, and it'll be up to the um, the minister taking the bill to decide whether they accept or not the amendments. Um, quite often at committee stage, a minister, if the amendment has validity or if they believe it's actually a good amendment might ask for the deputy to withdraw the amendment at committee stage and give them a chance to go back to the attorney general and draft their own amendment to do the same thing and I bring know, it in it's a frustrating stage. thing i can tell you when i was working in eddie kenny's office on the opposition side and we put forward things and they came back as ministerial amendments a report stage despite the fact that they had come from the opposition yeah. spokesperson, it's one of those things. It is It is an opportunity for, for, for the government side to cherry-pick the, Indeed, the amendments yeah. they like. And I think this as well, the governments are probably reluctant to allow opposition members to amend legislation. Would that be fair to say? It is. I mean, on occasion, I, I do think, you know, if we're talking about reform and, and, and maybe, Barry, it's for a different, uh, a different day, but like I did find working within government um, during this time of kind of quite extensive reform in the in the in the Dáil and Shannon that um, politicians on the whole, whether they were government ministers or, or opposition TDs and senators, kind of adapted very quickly to the new setup and the new rules, and you know adapted to the idea that you know backbench TDs or opposition TDs could have an influence over legislation. Yeah. Um, usually, the, there was a change of culture there, wasn't there? There was, and yeah. and the politicians broadly kind of adapted very quickly. Mm. The um, the civil servants and departments were the ones that were the most reluctant to adapt to the but new I setup. Like, I mean, if you go back 40, 50 years. It was scandalous for the government to lose a vote. It was kind of embarrassing for the government to have to amend legislation according to an opposition spokesperson. But that culture has kind of changed now, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there would have been a perception, like you were saying, Barry, maybe even 20, 30 years ago, where if a government lost a minor vote 
you know, you, you, you'd have uh, the potential of a general election in the air. Um, whereas nowadays, and I, I obviously the current government is, is back in a majority position, so we'll see how things develop. But nowadays it's acceptable that, you know, governments could lose technical votes or even amendments to bills and not necessarily, you know, bring the future of the government or a general election into, into, into question. Obviously, things like votes on budgets and confidence votes and things would be a different matter. But day-to-day running and amendments to bills, yeah, there's more acceptance now that opposition or even backbench TDs can suggest amendments and get them through. And it Which doesn't I must say, I think it's a much things. healthier position to be in. I mean, I don't see why we should be sidelining uh, members of the Oireachtas who have a mandate, particularly TDs who have a geographical mandate to represent their constituents just because they're not part of the government group. Yeah, and it does it does bring that it does bring that in that, you know, senators and TDs who might not be ministers, might not have any interest in being ministers, can play a much more active legislative role and um I mean, we can talk about private members in a minute, but I know um, the first private members bill that actually made it into law um, was an actual government um, backbench TD at the time, um, Tony McLaughlin, who was a Fine Gael TD from Sligo, who brought in a brought in a bill to do with fracking, and it got it got support across the door. Um, now the idea of a, a government backbench TD bringing in legislation that wasn't developed through a department and actually getting it enacted five or ten years before that would have been unheard of and would have been seen as you know completely outside the pale you know so a positive development really Yeah. yeah absolutely and I mean, going back to what we were saying, like, I mean, as as things progress, like, obviously, after committee stage in the Dáil, there's report stage, which gives TDs another chance to put down amendments to a bill. That's um, fourth stage. That's yeah. fourth stage. And fifth stage then is kind of just a final vote. Again, if we're saying it starts in the Dáil, a final vote in the Dáil to approve the legislation. And then it's transferred over to the other house. Um, in the case of a Dáil bill, obviously going to the Shannad. Again, Usually those bills skip first stage in the Shannon and will just go straight in for a second stage debate and in the, the Shannon. And the system starts again. And the same yeah. system starts again and it's second stage debate on the general principles committee where the entire Shannon will sit as a committee and amendments will be put down to the bill and then yeah, report and final. there just aren't enough senators really to have select committees because most senators only sit on one committee, isn't that right? That's it. I mean, they're, they're, they are only 60 senators and obviously covering 15 or more departments would be extremely difficult to to spread kind of the senators around because you would have to have committees that, that follow each department and also have enough senators on them to be representative of the makeup of the Senate. So um, the Senate has its own committees, but traditionally when doing legislation sits as a, a, a little bit like the Dáil sitting to do committee stage in its full entity, mm-hmm. the Shannon sits as a committee to, to review legislation. Mm-hmm. And quite often that can be in-depth and mm-hmm. in detail. And if at any stage the amendment, an amendment is passed in the Shannon, it has to go back to the Dáil again to be yeah. approved. And again, vice versa yeah. with um, an so, amendment. Uh, in your state. example now, this bill is starting the law, but of course bills can be initiated in the Shannon as well, isn't that right? That's it, and it's the same process um, we'll go through the Shannon. It will do second stage, start at second stage in the Shannon, do committee stage in the Shannon, 
report and then final stage in the Shannad, which are sometimes done together, and then go over to the Dáil and start with second stage in the Dáil and then go off to committee to do third stage and then back to the Dáil to do fourth report and fifth and final stage. And if the stage. Dáil has amended it, it still has to go back to the Shannad for the Shannad too. That's it, and yeah. those amendments as well. That's yeah. it. So there is the kind of back and forth of legislation. Mm-hmm. So the hope is that by the time we get to the end of the process that the the bill has been given a very clear airing in the public remit and has been debated in full yeah. so it can be passed and yeah. then sent to the president for signature yeah well it gets sent to the president and i think that's why the president is class as part of the the legislature of the iraq this isn't it um, because he is part of the the body that puts together the law and approves the law it is yeah and i mean the president the president is the last step again an inherited process, I suppose, from Westminster, where it goes to the Crown for signature in in our system. Once it's passed through and all the political side is done, it goes to the yeah. President for signature. There is, of course, an important difference, really, because um, the British monarch can't really refuse to sign legislation, isn't it? as I understand it. It, it is. And, and the President here can refer a bill to the court, to the Supreme Court, yeah. if there is a concern. Article it's very 26, rare. Yeah. Article 26, well, very it's rare. happened certainly it more happened. than once every 10 yeah. years since the Constitution was passed. So, yeah. Usually involves then a political, a bit of a Absolutely. political crisis. Yeah. But, oh, that's um, right. I mean, I think you're referring specifically to the Emergency Powers Bill in 1976, which caused the resignation of Carol O'Dolly as president. Yeah, it yeah. has. It has a checkered history, all yes, right. Yeah, you know? yeah. So, but the, the president has the Council of State available to him or her to consider whether or not the bill, and they can only refer to the Supreme Court to test its constitutionality is not right. That's it. I mean there is there is that there is that idea that I suppose the government elected on a manifesto about kind of, you know, legislative change, it would be it would cause certain concerns if a president, you know, was to start interfering in that. Yeah. But there is a council of state there you know, the president can discuss it with the Council of State. The president can refer the um, the piece of legislation to the Supreme Court if there's a doubt or concern about its constitutionality. Yeah. Ultimately, the Iraqis cannot pass a piece of law that is unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose the, um, the president referring a piece of law to the Supreme Court answers that question definitively. And not only that, but it means that the constitutionality of that bill can never be challenged again so it's definitively as you say it does and it does raise sometimes questions i know and the occasions rare occasions that this comes up as a possibility you you do have groups who sometimes oppose the legislation who would have concerns to say you know if uh, if the supreme court does get a, an article 26 referral and gives the piece of legislation a clean bill of health it does mean that it is untouchable, untouchable. After yeah, that. yeah yeah and i remember certainly an occasion uh, this century, when Mary McAleese, uh, or maybe Miss uh, Mary McAleese, didn't refer a bill relating to um, trespass to the Supreme Court because she was afraid of exactly that. I don't know if that has been aired publicly, but I think that was the, the, the perceived rationale was that she was afraid that if it was deemed to be constitutional, nobody could ever challenge it in the future. Yeah, and I think that is that is obviously something that uh, that a president of the day would have to 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 take account of. You know, their referral will be dealt by with by the Supreme Court on probably a very high constitutional level. But it does mean that if at a later date an individual has an issue with that piece of law, that you know they can't just take a take a, a case and go to the courts. Yeah. You know, because so of course, any citizen is entitled to challenge the constitutionality of 
legislation and have successfully on a number of occasions. Absolutely. And, and, and again, talking about bills that are brought in for an emergency, I mean, on, on occasion that is because somebody has taken a, a challenge in the courts to a piece of legislation and the courts have struck that piece of so legislation down. The CC case brings to mind when the Supreme Court struck down the constitutionality of legislation was referring to unlawful carnal knowledge and there was a, a crisis about whether people had been convicted of certain sexual offences were going to be released from prison all of a sudden. Yeah, um, and it does cause panic yeah. and concern because there's always the unforeseen consequences as to what this means yeah. for, for day to day. I suppose the advantage the president has as well is that on the council stage you have the Taoiseach of the day, the former Taoiseach, so you have representatives of the executive. You have the Concorda there, I think, as well. And... Yeah, and the 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 Cahirlaka, the Shannad. I mean, it is an unusual one. I, I, you know, it does raise questions. I suppose somehow, like if the when the president calls the council of state to discuss a particular piece of legislation, some members of the council of state will have, you know, somewhat vested interest in the discussion, and you know, others may be in a position where they, you know, they they might be reluctant to express too much comment because it might be something they have to deal with at a future yeah, date. Yeah. But these are the exceptional cases I suppose yeah, you know yeah. you, you referred to just when we're talking about before anything gets out of the Oireachtas you were referring to whips and things like that can you tell us a little bit about how the whip system works or what it means for individual members of the Oireachtas yeah I mean the the as you were saying Barry I, I worked in the whips office for for about seven and over seven and a half years I think I mean the it's a little bit in it's one of those areas of of politics and of legislation that is that is kind of there's a certain mystery I suppose around it maybe um, the whip system really the function of the government whip uh, chief whip who sits at cabinet is to um, is to get the government's legislation through the doll um, the actual process of whipping votes you know is a slightly different one there it isn't an oroctus function it's it's really kind of a political issue and it's a party political issue so you know the um, the government chief whip when a piece of legislation comes before the the doll um, or the shannad um, will expect and encourage and cajole and arm twist to make sure that their TDs and senators vote in support of the government legislation. On saying that, there isn't anything, you know, the individual who's elected as a TD or a senator is elected in their own right. So there isn't anything a government whip can do to make a TD or a senator vote in a particular way. And the um, the would you say the the penalties for voting against the government in these in these situations are you know are are more party political penalties so you'll be excluded um, from your party um, usually suspended for a period of time um, you may you know not have access to party political supports or you may your office and a party political wing yeah. of the Oireachtas may be moved and all that sort of stuff but the penalties are... Access to speaking rights then either if you're not part of a group. 
Well, that's that's it. You won't you as a if you're not a, a Fianna Fáil TD or a Fine Gael TD or a Labour TD, your access will be limited. And if you voted against uh, if you voted against a party, be they in government or opposition, it's very hard to knock on that whip door. So, like Fine Gael has learned that in the Protection of Life During Pregnancy Bill, and now it's going through. And I suppose very high profile TDs like Lucinda Crichton, Billy Timmons, uh, Terence Flanagan, they they voted against the government and lost the whip, and many of them left the party for good or some of them did anyway that's yeah I mean that's true I mean quite often when you vote against the, your party on a, on a particular legislation you know as has happened to Greens recently enough that's right I was going to say it differs from party to party it does and, and the penalty it is up to the party leader and the party structure and sometimes the penalty can be relatively minor um, sometimes the penalty can be suspension from the party mm-hmm. um, and then it depends I suppose on, on what the issue is if it is a relatively minor issue sometimes the party the person will apply to go back yeah yeah Yeah. um and if it's a if it's a major issue of you know policy or something like that it can be harder for that reconciliation to take place and the example you use is 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 a good one the you know that was a major political issue of the day and the voting against it was seen as a, a major department mm. departure from government policy some of the people who who um who uh, were put outside the finnegale whip at the time did come back into finnegale others went off and set up their own party um but yeah it can happen it's a it's a traumatic uh, experience i think for people involved i mean if you've stood for a political party and got elected to the dollar Shannon on the basis of that and obviously signed what they call a party pledge um, before you stand for election, which basically says you'll you'll act within the rules of the party and then you depart from that. It can be traumatic for the person as well, because, you know, obviously, if they've stood for a political party, be it Sinn Féin or Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael or the Labour Party, it's obviously something they've invested a lot of their own kind of time and ideology in. So it can be quite a quite a, a break. Well, you know? hopefully during the series, we'll get to talk to some of those TDs actually about their experience of that, because the hope is as we go through this series that we'll have an opportunity to speak to people of all different colours and none uh, who are dealing with legislation or have dealt with it in the past. But Mark, thanks very much for coming here. Can I ask you about one last thing before we finish up? And that's the guillotine. It's um, What is the guillotine and why is it so controversial? Yeah, um, and, and actually just to, to finish and uh, to go back to the party whip, just one thing, the, the party whip in Ireland is a lot weaker than the party whip in the UK. Yeah. In the UK, because of the single um, uh, member constituencies, if a party if a party throws you out and an election comes along, it can be if you're not the conservative candidate for a very conservative constituency or the Labour candidate for a Labour, very Labour constituency, you're unlikely to get back into the Commons. In the in the in the dollar, uh, to some degree, there is that case that quite often the candidate who's had the party whip taken off of them goes back at election time and gets a certain yeah, sympathy yeah, vote, yes, you know, yeah. or gets in regardless. And Dennis Nocton, I presume, is a very good example of that in Roscommon. Yeah. Yeah, Dennis Nocton. Uh, I mean, there's you know Michael Lowry. Michael Lowry Michael you know, yeah. there's quite He's a few. For the <laughs> but it is it is one of those things where you know the um, uh, the party whip isn't as isn't as much of a penalty. As it's sometimes um, seen as. Yeah. Seen as of course, it's they have not, different levels of whip in the UK as well, don't they? Where you can kind of you're permitted to be to rebel to a certain extent, but here it's it's fairly for most parties. I think it's a fairly red line. 
Yeah, again, it's up to the party. And again, as we were saying with the Green Party recently, it, once it happens, it's really up to the party leader and the party uh, organisation to decide how seriously they want to take it. So in the UK, they have what they call a tree-line whip, which is just goes back to when they used to be sent out the agenda on important things, they draw yeah. tree lines under it. But yeah. here we don't have quite the same the same power, I suppose, mm. as, as would happen there. Um, in relation to the guillotine, Barry, which you, you asked about, the guillotine is really kind of a, a vote to uh, end a debate on a piece of legislation. Um, it is to, to kind of put a set time limit on the debate. It's seen as controversial because quite often um, when a guillotine is exercised, it's because um, the piece of legislation is being delayed or disrupted by a group of TDs or senators who are opposed to that piece of legislation. And the government of the day coming in and putting a guillotine on it is basically coming in, curtailing a debate or ending a debate. Um, there Why is, does it happen? Uh, quite often it happens on the basis of what's called filibustering, which is basically when an Oireachtas member uh, or a member of parliament uses their time to slow down or disrupt a piece of legislation. The most recent one that I can think of um, that I was involved in was uh, legislation to do with the road traffic uh, bill, where there were a group of TDs um, and uh, who were very opposed to that piece of legislation. It was changing drink driving levels, wasn't it? It was. It was changing. It was changing the law surrounding drink driving, and that group of TDs, well within their rights, by the way, mm-hmm. um, used the rules within the Oireachtas to to frustrate the government. Um, and the minister at the time from bringing in the legislation by slowing down the process, speaking to the maximum that they could speak to, putting down amendments, calling um, votes, calling quorums. They they would wait until they was just enough members in the doll to be below a quorum and called a quorum, which would delay proceedings. If, if there aren't enough members, yeah. if there aren't enough members, any TD in the doll can seek to have a quorum call, which basically stops the debate until they are sufficient members in the doll. It's it's just another tactic, really, if you're looking to kind of run down the clock and delay things. Yeah. Um, another piece of legislation to do with judicial appointments in the Shannad. Um, was opposed by um, by a by a group of senators who again used the system in the Shannad to so put down amendments. Very effectively, yeah, yeah. and in both cases, I just do want to point out: in both cases, um, the TDs and the senators were acting completely within the structures of the Oireachtas. They were just using the the the, the structures smartly to get what they they wanted and to and to oppose the piece of legislation. The Guillotine is when the usually the government side, inevitably the government side, comes in and, this, and says, we're going to use our majority in the House to basically cut short a debate. And usually it is done, inevitably if it is being done, it's going to be done on some controversial piece of legislation and inevitably results in those people on the other side of the debate feeling that they are being denied the right to have their say as the people who elected them they yeah. would see they would see that they're they're doing what the people who elected yeah. them asked them to do you know? it's one of the powers that they have as individual members to i suppose to as you say frustrate the agenda of the government it is and and those like individual members of the Shannad and the Oireachtas, as we were saying with the use of private members bills now um where they can bring in their own legislation and that legislation is more likely to be passed 
Um, definitely the last 10 years has seen individual TDs and senators who don't hold ministerial office having a greater role to play in holding the government to account, in um, bringing forward their own legislation, in amending government legislation, um, and in some cases having their own acts passed. Um, the uh, the recent um, referendum on divorce started off as a as a private member's bill brought in by Josepha Madigan yeah. when she was uh, before she Back was a minister. Duty, yeah. yeah, yeah. So there's, there is opportunity for people to actually affect change, which I think is a really important takeaway. That individual members, even though they might not be in government or they might be not even be part of a majority, they can affect change, be it through amendments or frustration. Uh, or be it through their own private members' bills that actually ultimately affect the, the legislative landscape. Absolutely. I mean, TDs and senators elected now, as Barry, you'll know better better than anybody like TDs and senators elected now, do have a significant more active role to play in, in the legislative process. Right. Well, I think that's a, a great place to, to end it. Mark, thanks very much for your time and, and your insight. It's great like, to have somebody who's had that level of experience and understanding the system to bring us through it. Um, and thank you very much for joining us. Um, we're hoping next week, as I say, to speak to Jack Chambers, TD, who is the uh, government chief whip and who will be responsible for uh, not just drawing up the legislative programme with the cabinet, but also for making sure it gets through the, the Doyle and Janet. And so we're looking forward to that. And thereafter, we hope you'll join us for a series of discussions about individual pieces of legislation. And uh, please do subscribe to the podcast and tell others about it if you can. Uh, but thanks very much for your time. And Mark, thanks again for joining us. Thanks very much, Mary, and best of luck. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Irish Legislation Podcast with me, Barry Ward. You can get me on Twitter at Barry M. Ward. Don't forget to subscribe and you won't miss any of the episodes as they come up on a weekly basis while the Oireachtas is sitting. <laughs>